So this morning, if you haven't been paying attention, uh, we're observing the second Sunday in Advent out of four. And what Advent does is very thoughtfully pave the way to the birth of Jesus by providing readings from Scripture that help us understand the significance of the Christmas moment. These readings help us prepare for what is to come at Christmas. Advent literally means coming in Latin. So when you follow the liturgical calendar, which we do most weeks, we definitely do during Advent, you will notice that the actual story of Jesus' birth does not make an appearance until the 24th of December, the first day of the Christmas season. We intentionally refrain from jumping straight to the beauty of the nativity. Advent says there's beauty to be found here in the waiting. So here we are in this Lucan introduction to the man we know as John the Baptist. And it is our required reading for the second Sunday in Advent. And as you probably noticed, the entire first half of this reading is kind of dense, jam-packed with names and places. It's an introductory paragraph, giving us context and giving us logistical information. It's not the most interesting. And I read it slowly to try and keep your attention. Because I wonder why. Why is this here? Why would this first paragraph be significant enough to be included among an age-old, specially curated set of stories for Advent? Why does it matter? Why is it worth mentioning? The stage is set by essentially telling us, okay, So this person is important, this person's in power, this person is reigning, here's what's going on in social and religious politics. All of this is happening when the word of God appears. This is Old Testament language, solidifying the status of a prophet. As the world moves along, churning out its own definitions of power and authority and leadership, we are introduced to a prophet of God, the last prophet by Old Testament standards. He is a poor, unknown mystic living in the desert. He is unimportant. He is contrary, not the obvious choice to be standing side by side in a lineup full of power players. And yet this is who God chooses to legitimize the identity and ministry of Jesus. So the word of God came. In the wilderness, the text says. It came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. A prophecy of hope in the wilderness. And in this wilderness moment that God steps into, invites us into, beauty is redefined for us. We are immersed in a season of preparation as Advent teaches us to seek the very presence of God in the most unexpected places, both in our faith paradigm and in our everyday lives. 
beauty in the unexpected, beauty in the ordinary, meaning the presence of God in the unexpected, the presence of God in the ordinary. Beauty is indeed redefined, and we need it to be done if we are going to see beauty revealed in the tenets of our faith. This is a faith tradition marked by a poor brown baby being born and growing into a man whose authority is defined by humility, self-sacrifice and healing, abundant generosity and inclusive love. He is so radical, he is killed for it. His death is so gruesome, even in new life, he is scarred. And we call this man God. Detach yourself from a lifetime of indoctrination so you it is very odd to regard these kind of things as beautiful. The truth is, a lot of it is pretty dark. But if I could sum up what the life of faith is about, I would say that it is about finding the beauty within the hard moments of life, despite the darkness that threatens to overtake us. Advent is our primer for finding this beauty, and it's no easy task. It's a penitential season for a reason. It is a time of stripping away the unnecessary parts of our lives that are not serving us, that are keeping us from fullness, keeping us from deeper communion with God and with each other. Advent is about tuning in to our own generosity and evaluating what we have to offer a weary world for the sake of our own weary souls. It teaches us to find beauty among the poor, the vulnerable, the lowly, the dirty and smelly, if we're talking mangers. It teaches us to find beauty in the muck and on the margins. This is the truth of the nativity. These are the circumstances in which God was born among us. It is such an unexpected way to think about beauty that this is where it could dwell. It is so unfathomable, so rare and unique, which naturally makes me think about unicorns. <laughs> you didn't see me go in there, did you? I, I have a lot of unicorns in my life ever since I you know, had a kid. I didn't know that was part of the deal, but um, yeah, unicorns. And of course, every time I think about unicorns, which is a lot because we've got unicorns and unicorn books and unicorn stickers and all of that, I actually think of our community. It's been a running joke for a while now, ever since Fran began referring to us as a unicorn church. If you're ever wondering why our slide uh, with our donor box has a unicorn on it, here's the backstory. It's language that caught on to describe our eclectic ways, our smorgasbord of traditions. If you look in your guide on any given week, you will find proof of litany and liturgy. Today alone, you will see a prayer from the Anglican tradition, the Baruch reading. I was wondering, was anyone wondering where that came from? <laughs> it's a deuterocanonical text, which means it is part of the second canon in Protestant tradition, but it is in the Bible in Catholic and Eastern Orthodox traditions. We've got poetry right alongside the chiming of a singing bowl. We really are a unicorn church, <laughs> and we have overhead costs. Get it? 
kind of a rarity, but why? How do we choose the elements of each week's gathering? Why do we combine so many different practices, both ancient and modern? The short answer is beauty. These various traditions have so much beauty to offer, and we believe that we can know God more when we encounter beautiful things. God is the creator and definer of beauty, so identifying it, tuning ourselves into the beauty of our everyday lives, becoming bearers of beauty ourselves, can be a really meaningful spiritual practice. And that's what we're trying to do here, but it's practice. It takes work. We have to work at it each and every day. When we first began dreaming up this Advent series, Fran and Matt and I were able to spend a day at the Camp of the Hills where Drew and Amanda Bowen live and Drew works in Marble Falls. We didn't really know where to start or what we were going to do, so we just started walking walking the trails, and as we walked, we read aloud every lectionary reading for Advent leading up to Christmas. And the prominent theme that continued coming to each of us was this reminder to engage fully in the present moment, because the beauty of God exists all around us. As you're walking through life, it's so easy to get bogged down responsibilities and routines. Don't forget to look up. There are sights to behold right in front of you. In the moment that Fran and Matt and I shared, the beauty was found in nature, in the trees. It was found in the dirt-beaten path, the stunning view, the breeze, the quiet, the gathering of kindred spirits. The word of God read among us that day didn't happen on a Sunday morning at church. It was an otherwise insignificant moment, yet it was as powerful as prayer. Over and over again, we found ourselves corporately looking up and around us, letting the beauty of God sink in deep. We had stumbled upon a holy moment right then and there, just because we were paying a little bit of attention. God was present among us then, just as God is present among us today. God is always with us. Remembering this, realizing it on a soul level, will remind us that the hope of God is only in the nativity, but it enfolds us now. And by the grace of God, beauty confronts us over and over again in our daily lives. And joy has a way of awakening our souls. Even when we're in the depths, it's unexplicable. And just when we think we can't take another step, somehow love continues to sustain us, strengthening us on the journey. What gifts when we're looking around? But we have to make the choice to accept them, to unwrap them, open them up and hold them, cherish them, make use of them, meaning we have looking up from our routines, our distractions, our stressors, look up and breathe God in right now. If you ever wonder what contemplative prayer is, that's all it is. Breathe God in now. 
God is here right now. It's a truth so simple and yet so powerful it will bowl you over when you let it. So mindfully, we look to our present moment. Where in your life do you need to reconsider beauty? Because it's going to look different for everyone. What doesn't seem hopeful or peaceful right now? What is hard? What is heavy? What is burdensome? What is keeping you in the dark night of the soul? What within your context needs to be redefined in light of the beauty of God in the here and now? When we can honestly look at our lives and surrender to God in the midst of our current circumstances, we are taking part in the sacred practice of making space. We are making space for beauty to flow into the cracks and crevices of our lives. In this space, we know peace because we are able to let go of our obsession with looking back, of our addiction and looking ahead. We are able to stop looking down so much and instead look up and not just look, but see beauty around us. This is the work of Advent. It is utterly present to the mundane moments, the hard-as-hell moments, the painful moments, the turbulent moments. It is utterly present while simultaneously leading us to what's to come. And yet it is not leading us to a beauty so glorious we won't recognize ourselves in its light. Instead, it leads us, scars and all, to beauty so in tune with our suffering, it was born among our hopelessness. If it sounds like I'm saying the same thing over and over again, it's because I am. Will it ever sink in? I'm not sure. It reminds me of a poem I read year after year in this season of Advent, mostly because it's as close as I can get to really fathoming it and all my pondering. In fact, I had the thought last night when I was going over this. I think I did this last year, but I forgot to go look. But anyway, that's aside. The point is, I really do read it every year, and I want to share it with you this morning. It's called Let the Stable Still Astonish. It's by Leslie Leyland Fields. Poetry can be an interesting thing, by the way, to take in, so I want to give you space to take a breath and prepare yourself to receive a poem. Let the stable still astonish. Straw, dirt, floor. Dull eyes. Dusty flanks of donkeys, oxen, crumbling, crooked walls. No bed to carry that pain. And then the child, rag wrapped, laid to cry in a trough. Who would have chosen this? Who would have said, yes, let the God of heaven and earth be born in this place? Who but the same God who stands in the darker, fouler rooms of our hearts and says, yes, let the God of heaven and earth be born 
in this place. It is beauty redefined. May this contrary beauty confront us again and again in all our wonderful moments, but especially in our mundane ones, when we need the truest reminder most that God is present, that our ordinariness counts, that our insignificance isn't insignificant after all. God is with us even in the dark and grimy parts of ourselves that we don't want to face. God sees us. Beauty dwells here. Amen.